Hello ladies and gentlemen, we are IEM Consultants and with us today are my colleagues Yamuna Sagar, Gregus Ryman and Regina Ng. Hello everyone. Hi. 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 So um, as a quick summary, IEM will be releasing three podcasts this month in conjunction with COP26, which is currently underway in Glasgow and will run through till November 12th. COP26, or the 26th Conference of Parties, is a gathering of world leaders from UN member states aiming to accelerate action towards meeting the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. This agreement has a goal to limit the rise in global temperature to well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and to pursue means necessary to limit the increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Um, so last week, we launched our first ever podcast where Yamuna spoke to us about Malaysia's revised NDC and our commitment to reducing economy-wide carbon intensity against GDP of 45% in 2030 compared to 2005 levels. She particularly highlighted in that podcast how the commitment is not nearly enough to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. We also heard from Gregus and Regina who weighed in on their perspectives from fellow UNFCC member states, Denmark and Singapore. So if you missed our last podcast, you can check it out on our YouTube page, IENTV, or on our website, ien.com.my. The COP26 schedule for today, our, um, in, that is ongoing in Glasgow, is accelerating the global transition to clean energy. So in conjunction with that, uh, Yamuna will share a little bit about Malaysia's renewable energy targets that have been set up in order to meet the targeted emissions reduction by 2030. We will also hear from Gregus on the Danish perspective on renewable energy opportunities and policies and Regina on the same for Singapore. So uh, Yamuna, take us away with our um, transition to clean energy for Malaysia. Uh, thanks, Shina. Uh, I understand RE is not the first thought that comes into many people's mind when we think of Malaysia's energy mix, but um, you know that because the country is still known for offshore oil and gas production, but the fun fact is that our reliance on oil and subsidies on fossil fuel has reduced significantly over the past decade. Our fossil fuel reserves will be exhausted in another 11 to 12 years, and we're looking for alternatives in view of our developing nations and growing populations. Photovoltaics has increasingly become the focus of attention in this context. Uh, currently in Malaysia, uh, the share of RE in its installed in capacity is only 18%, uh, which is dominated by hydropower, which accounts for 86% of our RE capacity. But Malaysia plans to increase this capacity to 31% by 2025 and 40% by 2035 under its power generation plan. Great. Yeah. So you're saying 86% is dominated by hydropower currently. Moving forward, uh, is, does Malaysia still have plans to install more hydropower or is there a plan to transition um, to solar power? Um, I think the hydropower will be mainly built out in Sarawak. Mm -hmm. But uh, moving forward, I think our plan is to have more solar. More, more solar power. More okay, solar power, yeah. great. So, uh, and what is the government doing to in incentivize renewable energy projects currently in Malaysia? Okay, so there are actually a few um, incentives that are in place. Uh, the first one is GITA, uh, Green Income Tax Allowance. Uh, that is for purchasing green technology equipments or asset. And then the second one is green income tax exemption. That's for providing green technology services. And then we also have green technology fund scheme 3.0 to support green technologies in Malaysia. And the next one is NEM 3.0. That is um, if you're generating electricity from your own solar PV and offset or re that can offset or reduce your electricity bills. And lastly is 
fit fit in tariff, you can generate your own electricity to sell to the grid. Great. And uh, Regina, can you tell us a little bit about what Singapore is doing uh, for their renewable energy targets and um, and what are their plans moving forward? So the energy transition plan for Singapore uh, basically comprises of four steps. So the first one is uh, the deployment of renewable energy such as solar. Uh, solar still remains the most viable form of renewable energy for um, the tropics and also for Singapore. Um, and Singapore has targeted to increase the current production of uh, solar energy uh, six times to two gigawatt peak by 2030. But even with that, it will only be 3% of the country's total electricity demand in 2030. Uh, and one of the reasons is that Singapore is very limited by its land size and high population density. So even if we put all the PV on the rooftop, uh, on the reservoir and even some offshore spaces, it still seems to be a limit. So the second step that Singapore has decided to take is to actually develop a regional uh, power grid uh, and that will enable Singapore to um, import low-carbon electricity um, from the region such as uh, in Malaysia and Indonesia. So Singapore has actually started with some trial to import 100 megawatt of electricity from Malaysia and also up to 100 megawatt um, from the Lao, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore Power Integration Project. Uh, the project uh, of importing the electricity from Malaysia has been awarded to YTL Power Saraya for the trial. Uh, but this is still from a gas-fired generation plant. Uh, and Malaysia has also announced very recently on the 22nd of October that it will not export uh, renewable energy to uh, mm -hmm. neighbouring Singapore. So obviously that could be one of the challenges uh, for Singapore to import renewable energy uh, from Malaysia. In addition to that, uh, I think Singapore is also looking into the development and deployment of other low-carbon solutions such as hydrogen and also carbon capture and utilisation. Uh, because as we mentioned just now, one of the problems with uh, solar energy is also the uh, intermittent power mm -hmm. from that. Uh, and as far as I know, I know uh, that Singapore is uh, targeting to have a 200 megawatt energy storage system by 2025. And they have just recently announced um, in the International Energy Week uh, on the 25th of October that uh, they want to import uh, up to 1.2 gigawatt of electricity by 2027 and the remaining uh, 2.8 gigawatt peak of electricity by 2035. So this will make up about 30% of our total electricity demand by 2035. Yeah, uh, in, uh, but in addition to this uh, announcement, currently the project that is uh, under construction is the Australia-Asia Power Link, uh, which uh, comprises of a undersea cable from uh, Australia to supply uh, renewable electricity to Singapore uh, by 2027. And this is expected to constitute about 20% of our electricity demand as well. Thanks, Regina. It, Singapore has this challenge with the land space and the popula population density, as you mentioned, and you also mentioned that Malaysia recently announced that they will uh, not be exporting um, any of its RMX to Singapore as well. And I'm guessing that is because Malaysia wants to focus on growing our local RE industry. 
before looking at exporting, I'm, I'm guessing. I would think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember Yamuna carried out a survey uh, it w- w- amongst Malaysian general population about the, I think the topic of the survey was, is Malaysia an oil and gas nation? Asking folks what they thought about uh, Malaysia as an oil and gas nation and uh, how the uh, transition or how renewable energies would fit into our uh, energy mix. So can you share a little bit, uh, I think there was a question on land use. Can you tell us a little bit about your findings from this survey? Yeah, okay. So we actually conducted this survey in the streets of um, Bangsa uh, just to understand, you know, uh, Malaysian's per- uh, perception towards uh Malaysians' perceptions towards Malaysia's oil and gas industry. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> Okay, so uh, I think one of the questions was uh, us asking them how much do they think uh, of land we would require to switch to uh, renewable energy fully. And the average answer that we got was around 35%. Uh, which reveals a res- remarkable misconception because the real figure is actually 54 smaller. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we actually only need 0.74% of our land, which is less than 1% uh, of our total, you know, land that to, to actually, you know, to go mm-hmm. fully renewable. Yeah, and this is actually the figure, of, this is actually a figure from the Solutions Project, mm-hmm. uh, which... Uh, charts out the cheapest way for Malaysia to transition to 100% renewable energy. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's only 0.73% of land is required um, to be able to sustain the whole country on renewable energy. Yeah, That is amazing. And I guess nobody would have uh, guessed this during your survey and you might have seen a lot of shocked faces (laughs) as you announced it to them. Uh, okay, moving on to Denmark. Gregus, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Denmark? What, what are they doing to transition to clean energy? Uh, what is Denmark doing? Um, yeah, um, I think one thing that is important to also include in this conversation is that when we talk about renewables, uh, it's, we normally think about, okay, we, our power, our electric power has to come from renewables, but that's not the whole picture because uh, a lot of the energy uh, currently is also used uh, in, let's say, the transport sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so we have to look at it holistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Denmark has actually uh, uh, come out with a very interesting initiative that got a bit of uh, press around the world uh, earlier this year. Uh, they announced the construction of two energy islands so they're building them uh, off the coast of Denmark um, and these islands will be connected to these huge uh, uh, wind turbine farms. Uh, one will be connected to a two gigawatt uh, of uh, wind and the other one to three gigawatt of wind but this one can be expanded to 10 gigawatts of wind. So all this electricity will be coming to these islands and then it will be funneled uh, or channeled uh, to mainland Denmark and, and power the um, country fully. Um, but it will also quite often there'll be a surplus of energy um, and this energy will uh, be um, made into uh, usable fuels like hydrogen or ammonia. Uh, and these uh, fuels can then be used for shipping, can be used for the aviation sector. Um, for example, in Europe, the airlines uh, 
have to now come up with solutions for zero uh, emission flights. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're starting to look at alternative fuels like hydrogen. Um, and therefore, um, there'll be uh, some of this hydrogen uh, economy that will be um, happening from these two energy islands because mm -hmm. hydrogen will be um, an energy commodity like, like oil is today. Uh, but now, I mean, in the future, it will be hydrogen mm -hmm. that is uh, produced 100% from renewables. Mm -hmm. um, so, that's, uh, so these islands will be, I think they'll be ready in 2030 uh, if everything goes well. Um, and then uh, we are also trying to transition to electrify the whole country. So, so all energy that's going to be used in the future is electricity. So no more uh, petrol cars and all that. We are basically, these are being banned um, uh, by, I, I can't remember the exact year, but basically we are making that transition to uh, electricity. Great that you pointed that out. I think Malaysia has also, during our recent budget, announced that we will be providing a lot of uh, tax incentives on electric vehicles, or rather, no tax on electric vehicles. <laughs> so we hope to see that uh, come true. What you mentioned earlier about the islands, that's really interesting. Regina, do you think that's something Singapore would consider? <laughs> mm, I'm not sure if they have considered that, but I do know that um, uh, Singapore's uh, Energy Market Authority and JTC Corporation, they have actually launched a six million uh, request for proposal to test out renewable energy, energy storage, and also low carbon solutions, probably also low carbon hydrogen mm -hmm. on Jurong Island. Um, so maybe it could be something similar in future to what Denmark is doing. Yeah. Yeah. So but. I'm, I just don't really know if that is sufficient to supply 100% of our current electricity demand by then. Mm. We'll still probably need to be a lot of uh, importing. Mm. Okay, uh, and Yamuna, um, in, your, in our first episode, you, uh, you had mentioned uh, that what we are doing uh, currently, our mm. commitment in our NDC mm. in COP26, is uh, it's not nearly enough to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. Um, now this renewable energy target would sort of uh, sort of pave the way as well towards our carbon emission reduction. Mm -hmm. Do you think everything that's in place is currently enough? Yeah. It's hard to tell because from what we know, currently the large scale solar has been put on hold and there has been uh, a significant focus in the small capacity tenders such as biomass or gas and small hydros that are relatively smaller than solar. I think that's another interesting thing because this is capacity, right? Mm. Yeah. Installed capacity. Mm. So that so it's quite different if you have, uh, let's say, 100 megawatt installed capacity for a coal fire plant, mm. which can always run, mm. or you have 100 megawatt installed capacity for a solar plant, mm. which only will deliver 100 megawatt mm. when it's super sunny, right? Mm -hmm. mm. So maybe yeah. once a year or something, right? Mm. <laughs> and then most of the time it's not. I mean, it's producing less, and then all night it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is another sort of wording thing where it sounds great, oh, yeah. 31 uh, installed capacity, but in reality, it's actually not delivering 31% of the energy. Not necessarily. Yeah. 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 We don't read the details, or not really. Yeah, exactly. So it's a little bit hard for, uh, for us to actually know where we stand or how we are going planning to move forward. How about uh, subsidies for the fossil fuel industry? Is there any plans to reduce this? Uh, I'm not sure if Malaysia currently has a plan to reduce 
our subsidy, our fossil fuel subsidies, but currently we're being subsidized at 185 billion, and that is direct and indirect subsidy. Uh, and this makes up about 13% uh, of our Malaysia's GDP. And it is more than what is being spent on our educational sector in Malaysia, which is funny and it doesn't make sense because we're spending more money on an industry that is destroying the world that these people, these kids are living in than, you know, investing in their education. That is very, very disappointing and quite uh, sad to hear. I do hope that uh, Malaysia has plans to reduce its subsidies for fossil fuels and divert that into transitioning to clean energy. I hope that developed countries will also be able to contribute what they have promised financially so that we can accommodate and increase our targets accordingly. I keep my fingers crossed for the next week. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great, alright, then um, I just want to point out that uh, everything that has been discussed today are our own personal opinions. And Thank you very much and stay tuned for our next episode where we will talk about uh, low carbon and sustainable development uh, which will be released next Thursday as the COP26 wraps up. Thank you very much and have a good week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.